All right. Well, hello. Um, we are here to uh, here at, at the One Truth Project to talk about idols. And today, this podcast is going to be about the idol of the Supreme Court. Um, it's kind of timely. We've got going on in the news cycle here. Uh, here real recently, um, on July 25th, Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement from the Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Kennedy had served for three decades and is well known to be a so-called swing vote on the Supreme Court, sometimes siding with the left, other times siding with the right and, and conservative causes. Um, those who are on the right are shouting hallelujah to this decision uh, because that will mean that, that uh, in all likelihood, uh, the president, Donald Trump, will be able to uh, appoint another uh, theoretically conservative justice to the Supreme Court. Uh, while those on the left are sort of losing their minds um, and they're finding their safe spaces, uh, trying to trying to um, you know get their therapy animals in, in line so that they can uh, deal with this latest setback. Well, and that's been honestly all the stuff we're going to discuss today, which I know it's a really serious topic and it's important that we make sure to take it seriously and and address it properly and from a biblical and theological standpoint. But can I just say how entertained I've been <laughs> with the response of um, some of the, yeah. especially like the social justice warrior crowd and the yeah. way that they've responded to this issue. Uh, you know, there's a there's a video going around. I think, I don't remember where it launched at. It was one of the conservative pages, but a guy goes onto a campus in New York, you know, a college <laughs> campus in New York, and he's Good time. He, he goes on the campus and he starts asking the students, you know, what do you think of Donald Trump's Supreme Court nomination? As though the nominee has already been <laughs> picked, and he's but he's asking as though it has, and obviously that isn't the case. Man on the street. Yeah. yeah and so all of these all of these college students are giving their opinion about Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee, <laughs> who hasn't even been picked yet. But they're saying, oh, he's a racist and he's ah. a bigot and he's a you know well, he's all these he hates immigrants you know and and all of these different things. Um, as though they just know this stuff out of hand. Well, you, you know, know. The, you know, the places in New York teach tarot card reading, so maybe they majored in that. Wow, well, yeah, that's a good thing. Maybe, yeah. maybe they know something we don't know. I don't maybe know. they can see the future. Yeah, absolutely. I just I thought it was comical though, because you know the interesting thing is, and neither one of us were Donald Trump supporters, by the way. Like we, right. were, we were, I was in the Never Trump crowd, honestly, uh, although. Uh, was not obviously not a fan of Hillary Clinton either. Yeah. Uh, so it's not as though we want to sort of defend Donald Trump. I think that'll come out as we have the discussion here. But it's really interesting that that all of these people are ready to condemn the nominee without knowing anything about the person right. because the person hasn't been selected yet. Exactly. You know? So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because I think that I felt the same way when Donald Trump got elected. I wasn't too terribly excited to have him as the president. But man, that night that when as those numbers were coming get in, get the popcorn. Was, yeah, that was that was entertaining to watch. So anyway, go ahead. No, um, so I want, we want to start out. Um, we want to start out by reading some scripture. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this applies. I hope um, just briefly um, talking about it a little bit. But this comes from Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, verses eighteen through twenty. Deuteronomy sixteen, verses eighteen to through twenty, and the word of God says. Um, that you are to appoint judges and officials for each one for each of your tribes in every town that the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe for the for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise, and twists the word of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land that your, the Lord your God is giving you. Now we know, of course, um, this passage is, is specifically given in, in in Deuteronomy to the Israelites, and God here is setting up um, setting up a system of government by which they were to govern the uh, govern the people justly. Um, it was specifically to Israel, and it was specifically to their covenant. But I think that it would be a mistake to say because of those things, this has no bearing on what we ought to do today. Um, the whole point for Israel, the whole reason that God set Israel up was so that they would be a light to the nations, um, that they would be a light in, in, the, in the way that their culture was, in the, in, in the fact that their God was the one true and living God. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were to be set, set as a beacon in, in the, among the darkness of that age uh, to govern justly and so forth. Um, and so the system of government uh, that, that, that God commanded for Israel, while, uh, while it was specific to Israel, is still a great pattern for uh, for a nation uh, and a people to follow in order to govern justly. 
But you know, what's interesting there too is oftentimes I think, uh, we've been sort of trained this way, to think this way in church in, in more recent history, you know, this idea that we just ignore the old covenant because we're under the new covenant and don't right. pay any attention to it. But, you know, when we look at God's moral law and the civil law in the Old Testament, in particular the moral law, like this is a communication of God's moral nature. And when we mm. look at the civil law, this is the, the law that was passed down from an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, holy, loving God. And so even though we may not be under that covenant anymore, oftentimes I think sometimes we just need to step back and say, hey, maybe there might be some wisdom right. in looking at this and saying, what did God say when he established his nation? Because he's all wise. Right. And so there's value in stopping and taking some time to look at that and consider how might our world look different even if we were under the Mosaic Covenant? You know, what, mm -hmm. what, how much better would our – how many less laws would we have? How less sure. litigious of a society would we be if we looked at the civil law in that way? And that's important when we're talking about things like justices. Yeah, I mean in the passage that I just read in, in verses 18 through 20, if you look there even – uh, verse 18 talks about a specific application of a general principle, right? Th yeah. This is God specifically telling them to appoint judges. And then verse 20, if you go in there, uh, there at the very end there, it says, uh, in, there's the promise of the covenant that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. But everything in between there, it's sort of sandwiched in there, are, are really general principles that any nation yeah. and every nation should follow because nations have a covenant with the Lord. Yeah. We, you know, God expects governments to govern justly. And and, uh, and that's a covenant that is expected of all who are who are ruling. God has appointed them and raised them up to rule justly. And so verse 19 says, look, do not pervert justice or show partiality. By the way, that goes for judges and presidents in the United States just as much as it did for Israel. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone. So there, I mean, those are general principles that apply across the board to any nation who would seek to govern justly. It's not just Israel. Uh, the, the, the Israel part is in the first and the last. The, those are the specific application of those general principles. And those general principles apply to us just as much as they do them. Well, you know what's interesting when we look at passages, and I bring this passage up a lot because it really... Mm -hmm. I really was um, sort of struck when I noticed this in in Leviticus 19 for the first time. Uh -huh. Oftentimes we look at passages like Leviticus 19, which is God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And we say, okay, so that's for Israel. We're not under that covenant. Right. But you know what's interesting in Leviticus, passages like Leviticus 19, is you also see God saying, hey, listen um, – the nations that were in the land before you, mm -hmm. I am going to judge them. And it's specifically because of things like this. There was no justice in the land. They shed the blood of the innocent. Right. And so these are not people that were under the special, you know, covenant, Abrahamic covenant with God right. or the covenant that he was establishing with Moses. These were just the peoples. And God was bringing them under judgment because they were in violation of his law. Right. And uh, so there are general principles there. And again, that goes back to we do well to pay attention to those, even even in the day and age that we live in now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Leviticus 19 is a great place to look at that. Um, you know, Proverbs talks about uh, talks about when the justice thrive, the people rejoice. It's Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous thrive, the, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Again, this is true of any nation. And as we look down through some of the, the more concise prophets, also known as the minor prophets, uh, we, we see uh, that was uh, somebody at Bible college. I don't remember what professor talked to. Maybe it was Mike Smith. Uh, but anyway, um, but the, some of the more concise prophets, they, they've got a lot of meat to them. And one of the things that we find out, particularly books like the book of Amos, uh, God is, is pronouncing judgment upon nations who, who didn't have the covenant of Israel. Yeah. Um, and yet there still is a covenant that they're expected to uphold, uh, whether one looks, wants to look to the Noahic covenant um, uh, and so forth. They're, they're still supposed to uphold the, the, the co you know, a covenant whereby they provide justice for the peoples and they, they are brought under judgment. They are held accountable uh, when they when they transgress that covenant, when they break it. Um, yeah, absolutely. We see that all throughout Scripture. So there really is no reason to say just because we're not uh, just because we're not Israel. Um, then, then we don't have to pay attention to all those, all those laws. That would be a foolish thing to say, uh, certainly, and we would we would certainly stand to suffer because of that. And I think, I mean, I think that interestingly, I think that that is one of the big problems in the United States of America today, as it relates to the government and the church. 
which we'll talk about as we get more into this issue of Supreme Court and Supreme Court justices, is that the church has kind of um, taken – there's been a ghettoization of the church in the United States mm. of America. So where the church has kind of been – like there's always um, – there are always exceptions that are being made for the church in some of these laws and Supreme Court decisions that say right. here's the law of the land. But for Christians and, and right. for the church, we'll give them this exception. But what happens when you keep doing that is you push them – you push the church out of the – mainstream of society yeah. into a ghetto where there's an exception for them. And, and, and the problem with that is that causes the church not to engage in the culture right. and not to have discussions with the culture where we really try to bring the word of God, which is what this podcast is about. We bring the, the lordship of Jesus Christ into conflict with the, with the idols of our day and with the way, with the way that the world is, is living and functioning. It is the function of the church to instruct the government regarding how to rule righteously and that's something that's been lost in particular in probably the last seven or eight decades even. right right i mean it's, it's sort of the idea where people talk about the, the so-called separation between church and state you know that that really only goes one way what, yeah. what, what that what that amendment seeks to do um in in the first amendment is to limit the the authority of the government over the church it says nothing whatsoever to the church having a voice, whether the church has a voice in, in society. And so you're right. Um, the, the exception is there, and, and, and the, the church can pull out of the main mainstream culture. But you, you have to ask. You have to ask the question. If a law is not good for good enough for Christians, then what makes it good for everybody else? Yeah. You know, uh, is that not, isn't that what, um, isn't that what Dr. King talked about in his letter uh, from a Birmingham jail where he talked about, you know, one of the one of the things that, that is indicative of a, an unjust law is a, is a law that is applied um, unevenly, that doesn't count for all people and, uh, and that sort of thing. These are, that, that is just sort of something that's indicative of an unjust law. Um, you, know, if it, you know, so, uh, so yeah. Uh, anyway, so getting back to this, though, the, the, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court today. Um, sorry, I almost got us off on a rabbit trail there. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, the, the Supreme Court, and here's here's um, there there are many things we want to talk about there, but uh, we want to talk about the, this this idea that the Supreme Court is and their rulings are sort of a law of the land, um, and I think that this this concept or this idea is one that is an idol not only to statists and people like that, but also. Uh, I think is an idol that, that um, many in the evangelical community have 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 secretly worshipped, particularly those associated with the the pro life movement, who who believe that the, that the Supreme Court that the the road to just justice is through the Supreme Court, which by the way it seems to me a bit contradictory. Yeah, you know it was the Supreme Court that gave that handed down the unjust ruling. Uh, that, that allowed millions and millions of babies to be slaughtered uh, in Roe versus Wade. Um, and yet we're going to trust that the Supreme Court will recognize justice sufficiently to to overturn that. Yeah. Um, and then and then who's to say that if it doesn't swing the other way that, that it won't it won't you know it won't go back the other way sometime in the future. Uh, you know the judicial the, the, the Supreme Court, the federal judiciary is not the law of the land and We'll talk a little bit more about how that uh, how that came to be, you know, here in a moment. But yeah. Well, and there's an even greater irony there too when you consider when you're talking about that um, that idolatry within the pro-life movement related to this whole concept of how we're going to end the slaughter of the preborn mm -hmm. in our days. We're just going to incrementally pass legislation until we can vote for enough Republicans that we can get the right amount of Republican pro-life justices, and then we'll be able to end abortion in our nation. And the irony in that, which goes along with the irony that you just pointed out, not just the irony that the Supreme Court in general gave us Roe versus Wade, <laughs> but there's another even greater irony there when you recognize that the Supreme Court that gave us Roe versus Wade was overwhhelmingly reported or was was overwhelmingly appointed by Republican presidents. Right, right. Then, if you continue to look at the history of of of, uh, of justices as it relates to the cause of life in 1991. You got the Casey decision in which you had more Republican justices sitting on the bench. Right. The one guy who in both instances voted against abortion was appointed by a Democrat. 
And, and you got more Republican justices in the Casey decision, and again, those Republican justice, justices upheld Roe versus Wade and said right. that there was a right to privacy in the penumbra of the Constitution, and within that right to privacy mm-hmm. is the right to is the right to for a woman to have an abortion. These are Republicans that are, these are Republican justices that are right. doing these things, and so there's a great irony. And and if it weren't for the slaughter of millions of children, it would almost be comical to recognize the irony that it's Republican justices that continue to uphold the right, right to abortion, and yet the pro-life community and pro-life Republicans keep telling us if we get the right amount of Republican justices, right. that's going to be the solution to this problem somehow. Right. It seems to remind me of a saying, something about, oh, I don't know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting <laughs> yeah, different right. results. Exactly. Um, you know, but the, but, the, but the, that, is the, that is the idol of the pro-life movement, by and large. Um, they don't see any way around the, the, the Supreme Court. So here's what we want to do. We want to, we want to talk a little bit about um, the, the intent of the Supreme Court and then maybe a strategy that, that, that would go to uh, making abortion illegal and yet not have to deal with Roe versus Wade. And this is, this is not original to us. Certainly there are intelligent men and, and, and women who have thought these things through, and, and, and we're just sort of reporting on conversations that we have had. Um, but, but first of all, the, uh, the idea that the Supreme Court is not the law of the land, uh, it, it simply is not. Um, nowhere does the Constitution confer to the Supreme Court the right of judicial review. And I think maybe we ought to take a second and explain what judicial review is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Once you yeah, so, so judicial, you got all the notes over there. So. <laughs> I got the notes over here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So judicial review is basically the ability of the uh, of the the assumed ability of the Supreme Court to declare a, a law or a um, or an executive order uh, basically to declare it unconstitutional. The idea is that the Constitution is the, the supreme law of the land, which I don't think anyone disputes uh, disputes that fact. Uh, but, uh, but the Supreme Court has assumed for itself the ability to give us the uh, infallible interpretation of the, uh, of the Constitution. Yeah, so it's, it's this idea that the Supreme Court is sort of gets to be the final arbiter. They're right. the final court. And whatever they decide, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Those justices are the ones that decide whether or not something's constitutional at the end of the day, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Right. They get the final say, and our founding fathers never had any intention of giving that much power to such a small group of people. Yeah, none whatsoever. Um, in fact, uh, this power is nowhere mentioned in the Constitution. It's nowhere alluded to. It's nowhere conferred to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, uh, uh, the, the Supreme Court assumed this ability for itself in a decision that it rendered in Marbury versus Madison in 1803. Uh, and so it wrote for itself the authority to be the, the final arbiter on all matters of the Constitution. That was never intended, uh, never intended uh, by, by anyone um, to be the case uh, prior to that. In fact, immediately afterwards, what we see is that Thomas Jefferson, you'll, you'll recognize his name, right? Thomas Jefferson is the guy who penned the United right. States Constitution. Yeah. Um, so I think that if anybody, anybody in the in, in that time in history would have understood exactly what he intended to put down, what what the what the what the words intended to mean, it would have been Thomas Jefferson. And yet Jefferson, upon uh, the the decision of Marbury versus Madison, Jefferson for the next twenty years is a vehement opponent to this idea of judicial review. I got a couple quotes for him um, here that I'd like to read. Um, for example, this is right after, this is in 1804, uh, in a letter that he wrote to Abigail Adams on September 11th of 1804. Um, and this is what he writes. He says, nothing in the Constitution has given the federal judges a right to decide for the executive more, uh, more than to the executive to decide for them. The opinion which gives the judges the right to decide what laws are constitutional and what not, not only for themselves in their own sphere of action, but also for the legislature and the executive also in their spheres, would make the judiciary a despotic branch. Um, it's basically, almost like he was a prophet. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's not a stupid man. Right, you know, he's right, not a stupid yeah. man. I mean, certainly we would have some disagreements with Thomas Jefferson and his interpretation of Scripture. Yeah. But, uh, but he wasn't a stupid man for, all, for, for whatever else uh, it's worth. And so 
Um, so yeah, he, and he, he says, look, that was nowhere in the, that, that's not at all. He said, and notice what he says, the opinion which gives the judges the right to decide that what laws are constitutional or whatnot for the executive and the legislature. In other words, he, he, he refers to this decision as a mere opinion. Uh, and, and that's what it is. It's a judicial opinion, but it doesn't carry weight uh, to affect uh, wh what the uh, legislator and the executive branches do. So to clarify what you're saying, if I understand what you're saying correctly, uh -huh. what you're saying is that Thomas Jefferson, the guy who penned the Constitution to begin with, yeah. said that he did not believe that the opinion of the Supreme Court was the final law of the land. Absolutely. That's, that, that, was his, that was in his own words. He, that, that was never a consideration for him. Yeah. Um, he gets a little bit, as time goes on, gets a little bit more vehement in his opposition. Um, and here's what he says. This is in a letter to Charles Hammond on August 18 of 1821. So this is sometimes after this. He's, he's begun to see how this is, is, is still working its way through uh, and, and whatnot. There's a, a little bit of time between the 1803 decision and 1821. And this is what he says about the, about the, uh, the Supreme Court and this idea of judicial review. He says, the germ of dissolution of our federal government is in the constitution of a federal judiciary, an irresponsible body working like gravity by night and day, gaining a little day and a little tomorrow, and advancing its noiseless step like a thief over the field of jurisdiction until all shall be usurped. That sounds like a novel, it's a yeah, dystopian right. novel. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like the empire coming in and marching and marching. You know, um, we, we, you know this. Uh, th this is what he envisioned. He says, you know, the, the 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 manner of government that we had originally conceived is slowly being overtaken and usurped by this oligarchy or by this small number of people who are who are uh, setting up this authority for themselves. Well, you know, it's interesting when you think about that. I said earlier, I joked that he was a prophet, you know, that he looked to the future and saw the day that that would happen. But that is where the Supreme Court is at right now. That's where it's at. You know, yeah. when you look at the three branches of the federal government, there's nothing that the president can do that wouldn't be overruled by the Supreme – that couldn't be overruled right. by the Supreme Court. There's nothing that the Congress or the legislative body can do that would be couldn't be overruled by the Supreme Court. Right. And then to make matters even worse than that with the 14th Amendment, which I know we'll talk about in a little while, <laughs> there's nothing that the states even can do that wouldn't be overruled by the Supreme Court. Right. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, where we're at right now is that the Supreme Court is the oligarchy – Exactly yeah. like Thomas Jefferson predicted would be the case. I don't know how many years ago was that. Eighteen twenty-one. Do the math. I'm no good at that. Uh, <laughs> it's almost two hundred years. It was a long time. Ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just shy of two hundred years. So, uh, so yeah, um, and, and it's because you know uh, some people have a, a have an extraordinary ability to recognize cause and effect. Yeah. In the logical conclusions of certain ideas. Um, and, and these ideas have consequences. If you allow the, if you allow anybody infallible interpretation, I mean, let's let's face it, this is what happened to the, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, when 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 they the authority was vested in the Pope to be give the authoritative interpretation of Scripture, and he was he was allowed to just sort of interpret all kinds of false doctrine into into the into the Word of God, then uh, then no wonder you get heresy. No wonder you get uh, people. Falling away from the, the, the truth of the of the pure gospel, and no wonder you get um, get ideas and doctrines that are found nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the prophets, nowhere no nowhere in in in, um, in, in Old or New Testament. Um, you you get all these 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 things sort of out of thin air. And where is it? Well, it's the imagination of men, uh, and and that's why we need to be beholden to the letter of of of, of the law. And, and as far as the United States goes. Um, uh, you know, you, you talked about the penumbra of the uh, of the of the Constitution. That's really what that means is a loose interpretation where we get to sort of inject our meaning into the in, into the terms. Uh, well, you know, Constitution. Um, our friend um, Brad Brad uh, Bradley, Bradley Pierce, Pierce yeah. the, the constitutional attorney, he quotes Thomas Jefferson as one time having said they said somebody told him it's in the penumbra. You have to read between yeah. the lines, and he said, yeah. you know, Jefferson said I did I did look really close and read between the lines, and you know what I found? Nothing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. There's space I between found tyranny the lines. Is what you know? I found yeah, there, exactly. You know? That's what it ultimately yeah. morphs into. But it's the idea that the founders of our nation and the guys who penned the Constitution, the guys who worked out 
the letter of the law there never intended for us to look at the penumbra of the Constitution. Exactly. They intended for us to take it as it reads and to uh, and to govern properly. And the other thing that I'll say uh, along the same lines of what you were just talking about is one of the interesting things about our founders is that even the deists maintained a certain vestige of a biblical worldview. Oh, yeah. And part of that biblical worldview was the idea that people are sinners right. and that people – are that power corrupts? I don't remember who said it. You could probably power corrupts, yeah. and and ultimate power corrupts ultimately, yeah. and um, that's why they spread out the authority through so many different, so many different branches of the government and so many different people. Right. They hated the idea of just one or two or three or twelve or however many people having sway over the entire Absolutely. nation. And so it was never their intention for any branch of the government to have this much power as the Supreme Court has written for itself now. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, and yet we, we uh, in our modern culture, especially as it relates to the, the um, abolition of abortion, uh, many Christians, well-meaning Christians who, who, have, who are praying for abortion to end, Christians who are, are, are giving of their money, giving of their time, um, they, they're accepting the idea that we, that we have to work within the framework of an unrighteous, ungodly Supreme Court opinion. Not only is that not true biblically, because as Christians we should not, we, you know, we, we should understand that the, that, the, that the rule of law and government, uh, God expects the, govern, the, the, the governor is a, his servant for good, right? Uh, that's Romans 13, which is a part that many people miss many okay, times. Right. They just say, hey, obey the government. Well, wait a second. There, there are expectations of the government as well. The government is to govern for the good. Um, not only is that not true biblically, um, but it's, not all, it's also not true according to our Constitution. So as Christians, we need to be the ones who inform not only the magistrate of these things, not only the, 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 the duly elected and and, and, and who uh, governors and, and, and uh, lawmakers and anyone who has actual authority, uh, not only do, or, or should we instruct them of these things, but as the church, we should instruct the culture of these things. We should be instructing our congregations in these things. We should show them that, that, that part of what it means for Christ to be Lord over all things, it includes the civil realm as well. There's no distinction. There's no two kingdoms. There's only one. It's the kingdom of our Christ and Lord. Yeah, and absolutely. and all all, gov all governments in the world, all nations in the world will bow the knee and shall bow the knee to, to him. Well, and that's one of the errors that has sort of led us to where we're at today is this idea that there are, that there's the church and there's the state. Yeah. And that they, one is under the lordship of Christ and the other is the kingdom of this earth. And, you know, the scripture teaches that there is a distinction between the church and state, right. but the distinction is one of function. Right. They have functionally different roles under the – but both, there is no distinction regarding the final authority. The final right. authority of both is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, and so um, our, our admonition – and so I, t I talked a while back about a strategy that we – that we have seen from others and that we have come to understand ourselves, as, uh, at least as it relates to the United States and the form of government that we have. Um, number one, church, we need to instruct, them, instruct the, 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 the rulers of this world, of this nation, to govern justly. And that, 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 that um, we need to, that means, among other things, yes, we need to vote for, for godly leadership. Um, but, that, uh, but that also means that, that even though, no matter who's in there, because because guess what? It doesn't matter how godly the person in authority is, um, but they're, they're still a sinner. Yeah. Um, and they need to be called to repentance. They need to be called to righteousness, to cover, govern righteously and justly. Uh, just like any, anybody who's been given a stewardship needs to steward that stewardship faithfully. Um, then that same, that same principle applies to, to elected officials and other people in, in areas of authority as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to, again... The churches or the the government is underneath the lordship of Christ, and the church has a duty, a duty before God to instruct the magistrate regarding how to rule righteously. Absolutely. Before God, and this is one of the ways that our world has gotten to be where it's at: is that the church has abandoned its prophetic responsibility to instruct the magistrate to rule righteously, and that's regardless of who the authority is. Yeah, we're too busy car carving out exceptions for ourselves. So when the law inevitably gets passed, we don't have to suffer from it. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes, uh, sometimes instead of doing that, so so like the Obergefell decision, 
you know, Obergefell was passed, and 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 then yet the but the church was thrown the bone of of being able to um, uh, being able to refuse to do uh, same sex weddings and this sort of thing. Well, you know what? That's that's all well and good, but church, you don't need to be. We we can't be satisfied with that. You know why? Because to love our neighbor, we're, we we're carving out the exception for ourselves. Which okay might make us feel comfortable, but the rest of but the but our neighbors are being destroyed with this abomination of a lifestyle. They they, they are they are being inf- affected, and that's a, the topic of a whole different discussion. I understand, but but understand that when we let sin run rampant in the world, it's going to affect more than just you. It's going to affect more than just your comfort level and in, in, in your five hundred one c three. It's going to affect it, it's going to affect real lives where people's lives are being destroyed. The innocence of children are, are, are being ravaged, uh, and we're seeing that more and more as, as as that movement gains momentum. You know what's interesting is when you read the scripture and you look at the way that the scripture tells Christians to and believers in, in the Old and the New Testament to deal with tyranny. So tyranny is when tyranny is when a magistrate goes outside of their defined limit of authority. Right. Actually, it's any authority. It could be a magistrate. It could be an elder. It could be a husband. Whatever the case may be, any authority becomes tyrannical when they go outside of the boundaries that God has placed their authority within or when they command that which God forbids or forbid that which God commands. We call that tyranny. And it's interesting in the scripture, you never see in the Bible in the way that God calls upon his people to engage with tyranny. You never see this sort of strategy of make sure and cut out an exception for yourself right. so you can remain comfortable. Right. Instead, what you see is that when we are to respect the governing authority, we see that in Romans 13. But when the governing authority becomes tyrannical and goes outside of its proper place or commands that which God forbids or forbids that which God commands, then it is incumbent upon the people of God not to carve out an exception, but instead to defy that tyranny and to call that magistrate to get back into their boundaries right. and to rule in a way that's just and to call for repentance. And that lack of prophetic voice yeah. in the church is a great part of the reason of how we've ended up where we're at today as a right. society. Right, and the church is largely impotent. I mean, we see yeah. that in Scripture from the Hebrew midwives. We see that in you know, Daniel, uh, a couple times, that guy just, you know, is, is all yeah, about right, that, you know, right. uh, whether he's eating, wanting to eat vegetables or not eat the king's meat or whether he's um, wanting to be himself fed to the lions for praying uh, out of doors, <laughs> you know, yeah, right. um, or we see the three Hebrew children. We see it with the, 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 the apostles as they're in the in the temple and being commanded to not preach in the name of Christ. Um, every time the church or the people of God in that in, in, in that age are, are rising up and if they can accomplish it in a peaceful way, they do that. Daniel, yeah. you know, the first time. Yeah. But if they have to suffer the consequences of just outright breaking the law and, and being thrown to the lions, then they're willing to do that. They say, you know, uh, you know, our Lord ha- can save us from this fire. Yeah. But even if He does not, we will not bow down. And that needs to be the that needs to be the position of the church, and that yeah. needs to be the prophetic voice of the church. And stop worrying about, you know, um, stop worrying about how. This might might make you look in a negative light. Stop, you know. No, yeah. we we need to be the prophets in this in this age, um, the ones uh, providing salt and light into the world uh, that, that we've been placed in in this age. Amen. All right, so then let's talk uh, let's talk strategically for the last little bit of, of the podcast here. And by the way, if you want to learn more about that, yeah, defying absolutely. the uh, defying tyranny and so forth. Um, uh, Matt Torella uh, is a friend of ours, Pastor Matt Torella, yeah. Mercy Seat Church, has written a great book called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate. We're going to talk about that a little bit here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, great his, resource to, out, to get at the details of what we're going to outline real quick. Yeah, absolutely. And he has a great website at defytyrants.com right. um, that covers a lot, a lot of great material about what we've already discussed in terms of judicial review and then also about what we're getting ready to discuss in terms of strategy. So if we're going to say that waiting around on the Supreme Court is not the solution and sort of idolizing the Supreme Court and just living under the tyranny of the Supreme Court is not the solution, then the obvious question that comes up after that is, well, then what are we calling for instead? What right. is the solution? Yeah, right. So so, uh, so basically, uh, the, the way that our constitutional republic is set up, uh, step number one is, is for the church to repent of their sin. Yeah. Um, the re- repent of their sin of apathy and non-involvement and trying to coddle the the the, uh, the sinful inclinations of masses, um, that need, that needs to be number one. But as the church engages this, uh, we need to call upon the magistrates to do this. 
Uh, step, number, step number one for them would be to, first of all, pass just laws. Yeah. Past, past just laws. When we say pass just laws, we're not talking about just fair laws. What we're talking about are righteous laws. Righteous according to the word of God. And you say, well, you can't do that. It's a secular society. Well, as uh, Jeff Durbin likes to say, the, 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 the neutrality is a myth. Yeah. And it's not only a myth. Neutrality is another idol that we, we should talk about in a future podcast. Yeah, absolutely. The absolutely. idea that you can have a secular state with no reference to God or with no religious overtones is an, act, is, is an all-out lie. Uh, because to say there is no God is a religious statement. And you are, making, and you are following the tenets of a religion if you fall in step with that. Yeah. So we need to tell we need to tell the federal government or whatever government we need to tell the magistrate those who have uh, actual civil authority we need to speak up and tell them look hey um, you need to govern with righteous and just laws righteous as defined by the word of God uh, things that do not allow for the violation of, of of what he would consider righteous good laws are good laws evil laws uh, are no laws at all. Um, and so uh, we need to we need to call upon the magistrate to pass just laws. So let's pause there and talk about just for a second an example of what isn't a just law and what's right. a bad solution here, which would be a law that we say, well, we got the Supreme Court, we mm -hmm. have the oligarchy, the tyranny of the Supreme Court, so we need to incrementally pass laws that the Supreme Court will be okay with. And so we're going to pass a law, for example, that says it's okay to kill your baby. Yeah. You just have to have an ultrasound first. Yeah. So what you're referring to are, is like incremental legislation. Yeah. Where where the pro life the pro life movement for the last 45 years has endeavored to try to quote unquote chip away at abortion, and, and so uh, they they try to chip away, and then basically the goal here is to is for fewer abortions. Yeah. Because they don't they don't believe in a direct assault on the on the the opinion of, of Roe versus Wade they believe that uh, making abortions fewer is, is really the only thing that we're left it's the only option that we're left with so the reason that law is unjust though right right it, it may be that the ultimate aim is okay less abortions it's not that's not a righteous aim though less abortions right. is not a righteous Correct. aim ending abortion is a righteous aim and the, the the thing that makes the law unrighteous is that it allows for abortion, it allows for the slaughter of the unborn to continue, and that's not just. And so any law that isn't just, right. that doesn't establish justice, is not a righteous law, and therefore it's not the kind of law that any church should be endorsing or condoning. Right, and, and, and so when they come out and they say, well, we can't, we can't just totally abandon it, so we're going to do the next best thing, well, the next best thing isn't good enough. Yeah. The next best thing is unjust. A law that allows for the slaughter of innocence is is a wicked and evil law, and and I understand that the motivation is for fewer abortions, and I would like to certainly see fewer abortions. Um, I, in fact, I would like to see zero legal abortions. I, under, I understand that the women probably will still pursue them, and those women need to be uh, pursued by the law, and they need to be charged uh, as as the murderers that they are, um, and under the law that they get you know that uh, that is passed at that time. But but uh, you know. This is a matter of life and death, and those are unjust laws. So we need to we need to demand that 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 uh, that the the magistrate enact just legislation. So now we have to address the, what is often believed by many, in particular in the establishment pro life community. They would call this question the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Instead, we call it the question that we've answered repeatedly. <laughs> um, <laughs> The question that we're answering over and over and over again as though it's never been asked before. Well, let's go ahead and engage it in this podcast for the sake yeah. of those who aren't familiar with the discussion because there are many who would say, okay, great. So we go to the state of Indiana and we say you need to – we need to pass righteous laws. We need to defy tyranny. We need to – so we need to pass a law that says – that abortion is illegal in the state of Indiana. Block it full stop. That would be a righteous law. And they say in response to that, Kip, that's great, and they pat you on the head. And they say, that's awesome that you want to end abortion. I want to end abortion too. We all want to end abortion. But the problem, Kip, is if we pass that law that says that abortion is illegal, the state of Indiana is going to invest thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars in court fees. And then ultimately the Supreme Court is just going to overrule it anyway right. because of Roe versus Wade. So we just can't do that right now. What do you say in response to that? Well, I mean, uh, you know, what I say is what we've been talking about all along. The Supreme Court is not the law of the land. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what we need are, 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 are magistrates who have the moral courage 
to stand up to the oligarchy, to stand up to the tyranny of the Supreme Court, and uh, in, in enact legislation that 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 makes abortion illegal, and then who are then going to be able to have the moral courage to turn around and tell the Supreme Court your law, your your ruling rather is is null and void. It is no law at all. It is null and void because it's the opinion of a judge who has no authority in what we do as a state. And then the state needs to uh, the state needs to flat out. Uh, um, they need to uh, enforce those laws themselves. Uh, the, the state legislator or the state uh, magistrates rather need to, to enforce those laws themselves. Um, sort of similar to what we see other states doing nowadays. You know. Yeah, so that's the funny thing is when you say that. You say, okay, so yeah. here's what the state needs to do. Yeah. The state needs to defy the tyranny of the federal judiciary and instead establish a righteous law and tell the federal government to go pound sand. Okay, right. you say that? Absolutely. And oftentimes conservatives respond to that, and they're like, oh, we can't we do can't that. We're call up the National Guard. And, and why do they say that? Well, well, they, they'll tell you the National Guard thing, like mm -hmm. you just said. But the reality is it's because you're swiping at that idol that we're talking about, yeah. the idol of the federal government. And oftentimes Roe versus Wade, more than anything else in the pro-life movement, is oftentimes an excuse to do nothing. Absolutely. It is a justification for not doing anything. But the reality is when somebody says, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't defy the federal government. They'll send the, they'll send the National Guard to the state of Indiana because we're defying Roe versus Wade. The question I often ask is, will they really? Yeah, they're not going to do that. You know, because right <laughs> now Colorado and Washington are right. defying federal drug laws by allowing for the use of recreational marijuana. Right. And – they haven't sent the National Guard to Colorado. Yeah, we had, we've had a Republican president and a Democratic president in that time. And nobody, and yeah. nobody sent the National Guard. And, and, yeah. yeah. You also have places like Los Angeles and New York City and other cities that are right now actively defying federal immigration laws by being sanctuary cities and so forth. And that's a separate discussion that I'm sure we'll discuss at some point, whether or not that's just according to what we would look at in Scripture. Sure. But the reality, no matter what, is there's, they are presently defying federal laws. Sure. And the, they haven't sent soldiers there to shut that place down. And they're not going to. That, no. That, 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 that isn't going to happen. But what we are learning as we see these kinds of things happening is that the reality is that liberals are actually more courageous than conservatives <laughs> are. Yeah. And they're more willing to stick to their convictions, even if it comes to the point defying the federal government. Why could Indiana not be a sanctuary state for the unborn? Absolutely. I think that's the question we I like need to that. ask. I like that analogy. A sanctuary state for the unborn. I mean, we need to be. Uh, we need to be. Um, and, and I promise you, if it gets started with Indiana, it will continue on. It'll be like a snowball. There will be other states. You know, Oklahoma has has a good shot at that, possibly. Uh, you see movements in uh, Texas. Uh, you know, you see movements rising up here and there, and in, 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 in all of, in a lot of places where, uh, you know, North Carolina, where where other you know other people are getting. Um, Getting wise to this this understanding, you know, if people would just study history a little bit, we yeah. see this throughout history as well. Uh, we see this in in in, in, play, in times and places like uh, during the um, Fugitive Slave Act in Wisconsin, um, you know, telling the uh, telling the federal government, as you said, to pound sand. They even broke a guy out of federal prison and yeah. and, and gave him safe passage so that uh, so that he could be free. Um, you know, and that was the state doing that. You know, the local magistrate did that. Um, yeah. That's the kind of moral courage that we're talking about. Uh, somebody who's who's not not afraid. And, and and you know, right now is the time to do that. Right now is the time to do it. And, and here's why: Do you really think that Donald Trump wants to be the guy? Yeah. Who sent? Who, who? Do you do you really think that Donald Trump and his administration, Mike Pence, bold Mike Pence? Ah. Anyway, <laughs> um, do you really think that those guys want to be the guys? Who sent the National Guard in on a set of uh, of, of, uh, of, of uh, on a state that has abolished abortion? Do you know how what that would do to their base? Yeah, it would be totally gone. They would they would lose by a landslide. And so so now's the time. If we only had statesmen who had the courage to do it, who had the conviction to do it, um, yeah. in church, if we had a church that would rise up and speak boldly and prophetically as the prophets of old, as John the Baptist did. Uh, as, as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel did to their generations. We need the church to be bold 
in instructing the magistrate on their duty to govern righteously. Yeah. So, so, so I mean, that's a bit of the strategy that we're talking about. You yeah. Know? Um, and uh, and and uh, that is a that certainly is something that, you know in my lifetime I would love to see, uh, but but uh, church it's not going to happen unless you are out there. Yeah. Unless you unless you recover uh, a biblical understanding of what it means what the lordship of Jesus Christ means in all spheres of authority in all realms of authority, uh, because church it will not happen without you. Um, it, it, it's on us. It so, is on us. So here today. The way that we smash this idol of Supreme Court worship, this idol of worshiping at the altar of the Supreme Court, is first, we could run back through these, for the church to repent of its inaction. Absolutely. And then for the church to go to the state and to call the state to rule righteously and justly before God, establish justice, and then to defy the tyranny of the Supreme Court and take the power away from the tyrant. Absolutely. That's the way that that is, and I believe that that is the scriptural solution to this problem. The scriptural solution is for the church to rise up and demand action from the state and demand that the tyranny be defied, that the tyrant be defied, rather than appeased, that the right. tyrant be defied, and that we establish justice in the United States of America and stop cowering and worshiping at the idol. Of the Supreme Court, and can I can I just name one more idol that will that, that will stand in the way of this ever being effective, and it's the idol that conservative Christian evangelicals worship at all the time, and that is legislative expediency. Yeah, uh, we believe that well, um, we're going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Um, if you're voting for evil, you need to you need to go and repent. Yeah, um, we 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 need to demand better. If if we were just to stand up and say no more support. For anyone who will who 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 will not do everything in their power to, to abolish abortion, in one or two election cycles, you better believe that that platform would change night and day. Yeah, now there may be some difficulty because you know what that's gonna that's gonna cause a lot of problems with conserv with, with um all, you know with with uh, you know leftist type uh, legislators and and people being voted into power. But as soon as uh, as soon as they uh, woke up and understood. You know what? They're not going to vote for us unless we actually, get, you know, produce results. Then, then maybe they do something about it. Yeah. Uh, but Christians, you need—it's on you. We need to stop supporting people who are half-hearted. We need to stop elevating things like the econ uh, the, the economy or, or this or that over over basic human rights that need to be protected by by your civil government. Yeah. So, um, we wanted to close out with reading some scripture here because yeah. we know that. Some of the things that we've talked about here today might be relatively new uh, to some Christians. You know, the idea, for example, that there are basic, that there are general principles even in the Old Covenant that are incumbent upon our government today yep. to follow that that may be new. And so we wanted to read, I want to close out by reading the second Psalm and we'll just spend a few quick seconds discussing that and uh, related to that and, and just sort of read that and have you chew on it. Here's what it says, the second Psalm. In the Christian Standard Bible, it says this. It says, uh, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth, uh, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord, his, the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chain, tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction. Your ju you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So obviously we don't have time to exegete this whole thing, but it's very interesting that the second psalm is written to who? The nation of Israel? Yep. And it nope. says... 
Kiss the sun. It says kiss the sun. It says, and, and it's written to the kings. It, it, that's what it's interesting. You know, it says when it, the, 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 the psalm is actually addressed to, it's why do the nations rage? It's, <laughs> the psalm is actually addressed, the action is called for, to the kings of the nations. And interesting, right. in the Old Testament here, when it talks about the nations, it's very specifically, actually what it's talking about is everybody who is not the nation of Israel that's the nations. That's the nations. That's who the nations are. They're the people. Yeah, so this psalm is literally addressed to everybody else. And it's a prophetic psalm of the coming of Christ, right? But it says they're conspiring together against the lordship of Christ, and yet Jesus is enthroned. Yep. He's on his throne. And um, it says when he speaks in anger, it terrifies them. You know, and, and, and I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I become your father. Ask and I will make the nations your inheritance. The nations belong to Jesus. To Jesus. The United States of America belongs to Jesus. He says, I'll make the end of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron uh, scepter. That's the nations, who, the nations who refuse to come under the lordship of Christ will be broken with an iron scepter. Yeah. And you will shatter them like pottery. Now kings. So this is... This is addressed to kings, the yeah, kings of the, the earth. The rulers, yeah. And this is what this is what God says to the kings, the mighty men, the 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 powerful of the earth. He says, "Now kings, be wise and receive instruction. You judges of the earth, we're talking mm. about Supreme Court justices. <laughs> you and judges others. of the earth, yeah, but the, all all yeah. the kings, all the magistrates. He tells them, "You serve the Lord." So it's not God doesn't call for a secular right. government with the myth of neutrality. Right. He calls for a government that serves the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and mm. you will perish in your rebellion. This is to the kings of the earth. And it holds you true know? today. As true as it was then, it holds true today. It, exactly. It continues, <clears throat> it continues to hold true today. And so regarding the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court... It is incumbent upon the Supreme Court to bring itself under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Absolutely. Christ. And if it refuses to do so, then it is incumbent upon the state magistrate to bring itself under the Lordship of Christ. And defy and, the one exactly, that won't. And defy the one that won't. And it is yeah. incumbent upon the Church of Jesus Christ to rise up and call upon the lesser magistrate to do its duty before God. Absolutely. And to defend the preborn. Absolutely. So that's what we got for you guys today. Uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Uh, continue to listen back. And uh, our, we'll be launching our website here really soon. So we're super, super excited about that. That's going to be great. And you can check out our Facebook page as well. You just jump on there and type in One Truth, you know, One Truth Project. You can pull up the Facebook page yep. and visit there. Hit the like button. All of our podcasts and the videos are going to be posted there as well. So thanks for joining us. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll see you soon. All right.